Hey, and welcome to The Hoppetarian Show. I am Shane. You can follow me on Twitter at The Hoppetarian. And please subscribe to our YouTube, BitChute, and Odyssey channels. And give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to the podcast. And if you do leave us a written review, please tell us how much you love the Hoppa Ethnostate. That will really help us out a lot. My guest today is Alan Mosley. How are you doing? I'm good, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking time to be on with us today. So I wanted you on because let's we'll get right into it. Um, so one of your tweets, or actually two of the tweets that you had put out recently that I thought were pretty interesting and maybe kind of talk about that for a broader topic, I think would be uh, what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say there. So the first one, and this one's uh, more of a, uh, something that happened recently. So your tweet here reads, uh, comment to get canceled by big tech today. If your child is being attacked and another person or persons is preventing you from responding to their plight, you are morally justified in removing them by any means necessary before turning your attention to your child's attacker. Uh, so basically what you're alluding to is if people don't know is that there was this shooting that happened in a school and sadly, uh, a lot of kids were killed and uh, I believe some teachers were as well. Mm -hmm. And the cops were called, but they didn't, they didn't really do anything. They kind of were just standing around and it, it was basically kind of one of those situations that make you go. So what's the point of having a cop? If you're supposed to protect and serve quote unquote, then how come you're not trying to, rescue these these kids whatever because i also saw some stories where parents i think this one mom drove like i think it was like 30 or 40 minutes away mm -hmm. from where she was to to do that where she was trying to rescue her kids i mean that's that's insane the fact that she had to do that because the cops weren't doing anything so i guess what i'm basically trying to get at is like that tweet that you're talking about can you kind of go over that and kind of where you were coming from with that yeah, so so first of all, that's the cleaned up version to a uh, an old meme from Veggie Fact that just says killing cops is the only way to get to heaven. That was my first instinct, um, but I did not did not go with that. I cleaned it up to say, um, it, essentially, if there is someone, if your child is being attacked and there's someone preventing you from getting to your child's aid, you are morally justified in removing that person by any means necessary. Now, obviously, for people with uh, above room temperature IQs can kind of put two and two together what I'm saying there. But, you know, you can't you can't be too on the nose on big tech or you're going to get a knock at your door. Um, but but it's true. And it's I, I, I I'm reluctant to even say to people like the old trope of, oh, put yourself in that position. You know, do you do you have children? What would you do if you were there? Because I because in some sense, it's like I don't, I don't even say that because. Like you, you, you don't even want to think that like you don't even want to, you, I would never even want someone to pretend to have to be in that 
terrible, terrible position. Uh, and you were right. It was so I think it was 19 kids and two teachers. And the reports that are out as of the time of this uh, episode is the the cops were called and they they essentially didn't respond for something like 45 minutes to an hour. And by didn't respond, I mean, they there was there were officers on the scene, but they had essentially barricaded the shooter in with living children, um, kind of sort of treating it more like a hostage situation rather than an active shooter situation. So had that been a correct uh, assessment that he's taken these children hostage, he's holding a gun on them and he has some kind of demands, then that would have been perhaps one thing. Although I'm still not sure you would let that linger for 45 minutes to an hour while everyone runs back to the precinct to put on their fancy suits. Um, but it wasn't a hostage situation. He was literally walking around shooting children. This was not, this was not debatable. This was something that could not have been uh, assessed by people on the scene. Uh, and, and of course, what do you get? You, you get the avalanche of excuses, right? Of, well, there was only a few officers and the, I, I think a spokesperson for the department actually had the audacity to say of, well, if they went in, they could have got hurt. So that's why they waited. And it's like, uh, I saw somebody, I don't remember who it was now, but somebody had made the analogy of, but the officers on the scene, even if they only had their sidearms, they had guns and they had ballistic vests on. You know what the children had? Crayons. That's what they had to defend themselves with. And they waited outside for like an hour. So it's, to me, it's, but to, more to your point, to the point of the tweet, is that, that that's still not good enough for our boys in blue, though, is it, Shane? They couldn't just not do nothing. They actually didn't do nothing. They actually prevented parents from trying to rescue their children, which uh, it led me to another tweet that I had made, which was, uh, we've learned something about police this week and, and from instances before, which is if if they think you're going to shoot back, they're way less likely to cause problems. So maybe we should encourage a culture wherever, where the police think that they're going to get shot back at every time they mouth off to someone or knock on someone's window. I don't know. I mean, it's, I know that that's really inflammatory language, so I'm going to get called a fed. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, we, I mean, we have the receipts, right? We have the footage, we have images of these police tackling parents, tasing parents, pepper spraying parents, and uh, the lady that you had brought up in question. So I think she drove from 45 minutes away, got caught by U.S. Marshals and was handcuffed. She managed to convince them to release her. I, something about, I guess, she knew some of the officers personally, and they said, oh, she won't cause trouble, and they let her go. When they let her go, she literally goes around to like a side entrance of the school, hops the fence, goes in, finds her kids, and sprints out with them, gets back over the fence. Now, that's incredibly brave on her part. And the fact of the matter is, is that I'm sure more parents would have liked that opportunity, but they made the sad mistake of going up to the front doors where the officers were, uh, tragically believing that they were there to serve and protect them. But of course, we we know that that's not true. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll end that whole thing on this point. Uh, the the last thing I, I said, kind of on this this whole recent controversy, was if 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 there's a silver lining to this whole recent shooting it's that you 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 have to fall into column a or column b you either see 
the police as a government-sponsored gang that has absolutely no duty to serve or protect you in any meaningful sense, or you think that the public at large should be disarmed and these people should be in charge of your protection. There's really no in-between at this point. You believe one or the other. And frankly, after what we just saw, if you believe option two, you're just a lost cause. Like there's no point in people like you and me trying to reach these people if you still think that after what we just saw. Yeah, that actually leads to the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And that is how gun control, like you were saying, well, I don't want the citizens to have weapons or arms or whatever, but mm -hmm. the government should totally have all the weapons to to do whatever they're going to do with them. Um, so another aspect about this that I've found to be some, uh, to be interesting and it's not, this isn't like the first time that's happened. There's been other instances that this has happened. And I mean, it's sad that it has to come to this where children have to die, but right wingers and conservatives who were back the blue uh, I love the police. I'll support the police. Mm -hmm. They should have, they should have all the funding or whatever. They're coming around to the fact that, yeah, maybe the police don't look out for my best interest. They don't look out to protect and serve me and mm -hmm. the citizenry or whatever. And it, it's, it's definitely a, a white pill. I think, mm -hmm. I think if people are starting to understand and, and I'm not going to be one of those, like defund the police people or whatever i'm gonna say how i feel about this is that because i think it was the amount of funding that they were getting i think it was like 40 percent or something like that of the city's budget was going to the police i'm pretty sure if that's the case, then obviously if you if they had gotten 41 percent of the budget then this wouldn't have happened right <laughs> yeah um but it just goes to show that because some people were saying, well, I mean, they have families to they go home to. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. But so did the children that got shot and killed and the teachers and all this stuff. And I I think I think it's um I think it's interesting because I I look at it as like obviously I don't I don't want the government to have the monopoly on violence. I don't want them to have the, the police or whatever. But I'm sure you agree that they're not gonna go away tomorrow. So mm -hmm. what what are some things that could possibly improve it? I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't have all the answers, but I would say if if these if the policemen had a better relationship with the citizens that they were supposed to be protecting then I don't know, maybe it would have been, maybe the situation wouldn't have been as bad as it was. I don't know. Um, because clearly money isn't going to, isn't helping out. And I, I mean, I don't know, like, okay. So and I'm kind of rambling and going all over the place, but another thing that I want to say about this, that I think, cause you're talking about how there's like two sides where it's either this one or the at one. I've seen libertarians mm -hmm. say, well, the answer is you got to abolish public schools. Okay. Yeah, I agree. But how, how are you going to get there? Like, how do you, you know, oh, well, if uh, I become a 
president or whatever, if I become the mayor, I'm just going to abolish all of the public schools in my area, in my jurisdiction. But it's, I don't know, just having that type of like just saying that as a solution is fine, but you're not telling people how you get there because when you say that, it's just like, and I, I was one of those people that used to be like, yeah, abolish public schools. Like that's the answer. Mm-hmm. But now I'm kind of thinking a little bit more, I don't, I don't know how, how to describe it, but like a little bit more like, okay, how do we get to that point? You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? And I know that as we're sitting here talking, there's there's this clown show convention happening out in Reno, and <laughs> uh, and I and I and I we're not talking about that today. All, all I was gonna, the only reason I brought that up is just to say that's the million dollar question for them and us and everyone else, isn't it? Is that now that you've done the thing you're doing, what's next? What's the thing you're gonna do now? What are what are you gonna do that's gonna make actionable changes? Um, and but I will say because I, I love to shit on them all the time, but I, I will say in there or just generic Laubert defense, if I may, is that there's so you and I could sit here and just and, and we will. I, I can I can give you a short list of things that I would say if, if we did these things. And I think they're at least more realistic than me becoming president of the United States. These would these would move the needle forward. However, a lot of us have been around long enough to know that any list of things we come up with that would be a a net positive don't they, these aren't new ideas. They the these ideas have been around for years, if not decades, if they never come to fruition because Leviathan's not interested in that. So even even if our tactics are different. No matter who you are, and we could use the great Ron Paul as an example. Okay, so run as a Republican, get into Congress. Um, you know, instead of trying to fight the duopoly, work within. You know what? That's been done before too, and we don't exactly live in paradise. I'm not saying that it wasn't great that he did it. I'm not saying that it didn't draw a lot of people to these ideas, but it was the drawing of people to ideas was really the success there. It wasn't actually making actionable change because. Uh, Leviathan's not interested in actionable change, uh, but but more but more to your point, like okay, let's 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 talk real shop for a second, but not in complete fairy tale world of what what could be done differently. Um, so for one, uh, we we know that the police have no duty or obligation to protect us. That's been affirmed by the Supreme Court and held up several several times in court. Um, so so uh, so hoping for better officers hoping for you know more money more training more whatever that makes absolutely no whit of difference whatsoever um if if this this is one of the reason why people would be against the state have a monopoly on violence and having police be the only answer to an, a problem like this precisely because they don't answer to us they're not going to suffer any negative repercussions for their actions should they fail miserably whereas private security would um but but even that even that you know what even that's a step too far let's let's reel it way back into what generic lefties and and, and righties would understand uh, first of all, repeal uh, gun-free zone laws. Throw those out the door. Those are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, gun-free zone just means target-rich environment. That's all that means. It's all it's ever meant. Um, the the second thing would be uh, if you're talking about talking about specifically that town, and it's a small town. 
it's like sixteen thousand people live in that town. This this and and I and I don't like I don't want to get too hung up on this one example because it's a lot bigger topic than just this one example. But it is a good example. This one town is a town of sixteen thousand people, and yet that enormous percentage of their budget goes to their police force, and they've got. These these armored vehicles and SWAT teams and they're just armed to the teeth. They are they are the true definition of militarized police. Um, something that we talk about at TAC all the time is you you talk about asset forfeiture uh, forfeiture and equitable sharing and how that then allows this 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 huge exchange of money by exchange I mean stealing it from people the feds getting it and then sending a certain percentage of that back to the local municipality that allows for this massive militarization of police and what did that do to help those children all that money and equipment and gear didn't do anything for those kids so that can't obviously so you're right that can't possibly be the answer um so Getting rid of get get like I said, getting rid of uh, gun-free zone laws would be a help. Um, having a serious conversation—it's it's, it's kind of like separating the serious from the non-serious. A non-serious conversation is let's get rid of guns. That's a non-serious conversation. Everyone who advocates for uh, gun prohibition to end gun violence. It necessarily requires gun violence to get rid of gun violence. That is that is a, just an abs, an abject fact of their position. So that that's just inconsistent from the word go. Um, there's, I mean, we could sit here and talk about how, um, you know, teachers could be armed and trained. Uh, and you're right. I look, I'm totally on board with abolishing public schools. But you're right. I, we don't have a magic wand. We're not going to abol abolish public schools tomorrow. Um, but I would say again, I, I, I feel compelled to defend the Lawberts as, as, as autistic as they are, is that it's, it's not that their position is wrong. It's just not something that we have the means to accomplish right this minute, or perhaps even in our lifetime. I've, I've, I read just recently from our, our friend, Michael Bolden, that it's, it's really disingenuous to talk about having these types of freedom in our lifetime. It's more realistic to talk about laying the foundation for future generations. We're not going to dig out of this hole tomorrow. Um, but, you know, private schools, if you have a private school and they have private security, uh, they absolutely would be required. I mean, it would be a part of their job description to protect your children. You're 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 sending your children to that school. But it, and it also applies to the public school. This is probably one of the most damning parts of the whole school shooting, school violence equation, which is you can't send your kid to school strapped. That's a quick way for him to get sent to jail or, or, and or expelled forever. Um, you can't go to school with your kid and protect him. They're not going to, I mean, we see how they treat parents. We see how they treat parents outside there. We see how they treat parents at school board meetings. You're not going to be allowed in there to do anything. So, but the point is, is that we have to have a logical consistency there. And if your kid can't protect himself, and if you can't protect your child, but your child must go to school in, in the scenario where the, we're not talking about homeschooling, they must go to this local public school, then that means the responsibility of your child's safety has now fallen upon them. That to, to, to put it nicely in a non let's go burn down the local precinct way, that's the issue that we're faced with this recent example is if you are not a they have 
they have uh, commandeered the responsibility of the defense of your child, which means they now own that responsibility. And then they also then turn around and failed at that responsibility. Therefore, in, in any sensible situation, someone must be to blame. Now, before anyone gets their feathers ruffled, yes, the gunman is to blame. That's the first person to blame. And that's, ne that's never not true. That's never not true. It's not the gun. It's not necessarily anyone else. It's always the gunman first. But they still took your responsibility, your right to protect your child. They, they effectively stole that right from you. They now own that responsibility. They failed to do it. So there should be way less national conversation about what we're, how we're going to license and restrict firearms and a way bigger conversation about how if the state has commandeered certain responsibilities, that that means they now own those responsibilities. If they're not fulfilling those responsibilities, then they, they are at fault. And at, I mean, at a minimum, those responsibilities should return, be returned to you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll add one more quick thing, though, before I turn it back over to you, because, I mean, there's there's a million different examples we could bring up is the you're, you you mentioned earlier that the 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 right wingers that generally are seen as the cop suckers are starting to some at least some are starting to wake up and say, wow, this is this this is not what I have always envisioned when I've thought of the thin blue line that I'm not I don't like what I'm seeing here. And that is a white pill. And that's great. Um, you know, not that long ago, if you had told people, yeah, we're going to have some percentage of conservatism turning on police, I think a lot of people wouldn't have believed it. So that's, that is good news. But, and, and of course there's been plenty of people on the left that have been anti-cop cop for a long time, but there, they have to, they have to understand it. They have to be able to reckon with it. There has to be a logical consistency there. And the consistency there would be if I don't trust the police and if they're not doing the job that they're sworn to do, which again, we know that legally they're not uh, to protect my children because I can't, then we should absolutely, I as a parent should absolutely be evaluating ways that I can restore those rights and responsibilities to myself. Uh, and, and I'll give you one more somewhat, somewhat not realistic, but more realistic than, you know, Dave Smith 2024, which is uh, a lot of the problems we're seeing today uh, started at the, I think it's 1979 or 1980 with the creation of the Federal Department of Education. Look, every state has a State Department of Education and they've had one all along. It was with the creation of the Federal Department of Education when, when federalism died and when the federal government took over the responsibility of education from the 50 states and started instituting curriculum, started instituting laws and regulations. You know, think people old enough to remember George W. Bush's No Child Left Behind and all that kind of garbage. That's that's how we get things like federal gun-free zone laws, because it's a federal law. Your local school can't just decide to throw those signs in the trash because the federal government instituted it. So um, I, while it's probably not the most realistic thing, it's at least more realistic than ending the Fed, right? Federal Reserve is d abolishing the Federal Department of Education. Now, if you live in a shithole state and your state's Department of Education is uh, less than ideal, then that sucks for you. But at least you at least you can vote with your feet. Right. But this is a, this is a perfect example where restoring federalism 
would at least help, not solve, but help some of the crisis that we're seeing, whether it's uh, economic, social, cultural, or in this case, the matter of education and gun rights. Restoring federalism, getting rid of a federal Department of Education, and in my case, allowing the Tennessee State Department of Education, if it decides, well, we're going to have off-duty officers, although officers are shit. If we're going to have, we're going to have private security. We're going to work into our education budget a uh, certain number of teachers that are going to be armed and trained in use of a firearm, that sort of thing. I mean, would that solve these problems? I don't know. But it's 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 at least an actionable change that we could foresee happening that could potentially help the problem that doesn't trample on the rights of other people, um, is not counter to uh, things like the Second Amendment, um, and works within the confines of what you sort of presented, which is, you know, we're still going to have public schools people are still going to be sending millions of their children to these schools every day. Um, we're not going to be able to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, again, I'll sad to say, and, and I'll, I'll shut up and let you take back over. Sad to say is that again, all of these, none of these ideas are new. I didn't come up with these things. These things have been discussed for decades and they haven't happened. Uh, so another part of the the national conversation has to be if, if every single time there's a crisis, it's harump harump ban guns harump harump keep my guns the conversation will never move forward cuz we're not even we're not even broaching any of these genuine actionable changes yeah so something i wanted to add to that because you had mentioned uh, george w bush i looked up uh, cuz someone had posted uh, i think it was like a wikipedia screenshot of something about uh, like this gun free zone uh, mm -hmm. passage into law and it was a Democrat who had introduced it. And then it was signed into law by H.W. Bush. So mm -hmm. bipartisanship wins again. Yep. Um, so I just wanted to add that little caveat to it. That was kind of, uh, kind of funny. Um, but then you also talked about arming teachers. And I was thinking, I mean, I don't know because – some of these teachers, I don't know if you'd trust them with a gun, with the, you know, with, if children don't have anything to defend themselves with and the teacher decides, you know what, I don't want to teach anyone, you know, I don't care. And maybe I'm going to like the ultimate worst case scenario, but mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe that would be something that some parents would kind of be like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that because... I don't know the teacher. I don't have a good relationship or good rapport with the teacher. I don't know. And then you hear some stories about teachers, you know, kind of doing some disgusting things to children at the schools. You're just like, I don't know, teaching them some weird things. You're like, I don't know. So well, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't trust the teachers to teach my children, much less protect my children from an insane right. gunman. But, but what I'm saying is, is that, but my, my feeling that as, as you pointed out, my feeling that way, and even my, keeping my kids out of the school is not going to change the fact that that teacher is going to go to work tomorrow with a million other kids. Yeah, that's true. And also kind of talking about when, when you were mentioning homeschooling or you, like you weren't going to mention homeschooling, but like you kind of mentioned it, um, not talk about homeschool, but you mentioned it. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, that like homeschooling has been an uptick, especially with, um, mm -hmm. with COVID and, and all that. Yep. But that's another indication where, yeah, just homeschool your kids and 
I mean, we're, we're planning on doing that with, with our children, homeschool our kids, but also at the end of the day, we, like you were just saying, we understand that there's going to be teachers who's going to be teaching however many other kids are going to go to that school because a lot of parents, they don't have a choice or they feel mm -hmm. like they don't have a choice. Like I have to put my kid into the public school system because it's just more convenient for me. I don't like both the parents working. And that's another thing too. Like when both parents are working and then you decide I'm going to quit, you you'll work. I'll homeschool. Like that's, that's a really big change for some parents. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, it's going to be a complicated issue. And, and when, like you were saying, when there's one side who says, just get rid of all the guns and no more shooting, but then it's like, well, I didn't keep my guns because I have to defend the government from doing whatever they're going to do to me or whatever. Or they feel like they, they feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, how would you even approach that? It's like, it's like with the abortion issue. Like, how would you, when, when one's like, and abortion, and no one's like, no, we got to keep abortion for reproductive rights or whatever. That, those two conversations right there are just, I don't see them ending anytime soon. And it's always going to be both sides of the aisle are going to use that. I mean, I have my own opinions on that. Like, I'm, like, I definitely don't like abortion. I want it ended. And I definitely mm -hmm. think you should have a gun if you feel, like you need to have a gun and you train and learn how to use it. But I also know that there's millions of other people who don't agree with me. So like, what do you know, what do you well, do with that? Well, exactly. So that's, that's exactly what I was talking about a second ago is that that's, that's why a restoration of federalism would fix a lot of these, at least societal and cultural issues. Um, uh, Jeff Deistit wrote an article fairly recently that was, that was talking, that was right after when the whole leak happened where they were saying, oh, it looks like SCOTUS may overturn Roe v. Wade. And, and the article wasn't really even so much about that as it was about healthy federalism fixes this. The reason why you don't have a bigger push for people trying to restore federalism, in, in, in short, the overwhelming majority of things, as the Constitution is written, being handled at the state level, is because, because since we have not enjoyed federalism in any meaningful sense for many, many years, that essentially makes everything that happens at the federal level winner take all, right? If you if you were president wins with 50.1 percent of the vote or, you know, whatever, uh, if you get a majority in the House or Senate, which ultimately then means that you can then appoint your Supreme Court justices and in the Supreme Court, of course, again, uh, not serving the function that it was uh, constitutionally delegated to serve. It's, it's now a super legislature. The Supreme Court was supposed to be uh, a court that oversaw only a, a, a limited scope of things because, again, the individual states had purview over the overwhelming majority of issues. Uh, but now, today, the Supreme Court is a, su a super legislature that everyone defers to, including the president, the executive, and the legislative branches. Um, and so, since you have this sort of winner-take-all system that is completely located, centralized in D.C., then it's totally natural for people to politic the way they do. They have to win. They have to get that ring of power, right? Because if they don't, then they're going to have uh, other people's views forced upon them. Whereas in a in a federalist system, look, I think abortion is wrong. I don't think that I don't think that abortion should be legal anywhere. But if 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 abortion, because overturning Roe v. Wade doesn't get rid of abortion, that just sends it back to the states. That's all that does. Um, are they still going to have abortions in San Francisco? Boy, you bet they will. There is absolutely nothing I can do about that from here in Tennessee. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying I can do much of anything that happens in Tennessee either. But 
at least you can vote with your feet. And you were, we're just going to have to agree to live in a world where people in Alabama are going to have to be content with Alabama being a state that, that, that is a reflection of their culture and values. And people in California are going to have to be content that California is a reflection of their culture and values and not try to force those cultures and values upon the other. Uh, to be fair, quite frankly, it's the Californians way more likely wanting to enforce their values on the Alabamans, not the other way around. But I'm, I'm not even picking sides. I'm just saying well, that's what federalism is. We're going to have to agree to that system. Uh, and and this will be a little bit of a controversial one, too. Guns should be the same way. The cost, the U.S. Constitution is is was never was never understood to mean that because the Second Amendment says uh you know, thou shall not infringe. That does that does that doesn't mean that your state can't infringe upon your gun rights because that would be up to your state's constitution. The U.S. Constitution means that the federal government can't infringe upon your right to bear arms. So, if we were truly understanding the federalist perspective, we would want we would we would want to rip those things out root and branch so that all of those issues return to the states. Uh, and then individual states could decide. Again, is that perfect? No. Would there still be abortions? Yes. Would there still be uh, people going door to door taking people's guns? In, in that scenario, probably in places I don't want to live, they would want to do that. It's not something that Milton Friedman used to say. Nirvana is not meant for this world. There's there's no there's no system that you and I could come up with that's going to satisfy satisfy our sensibilities on on our definitions of freedom and liberty that would not still require uh, what my friend Mike Meharry says is the uh, the uh, LEOs liberty enforcement officers even if for you and I to get everything we want and to make everyone else do it it would still require violence because there are people out there that do not hold liberty as a primary political virtue and would not be happy with the way you and I would want to structure the world so we're going to have to restore federalism take the overwhelming majority of things out of the hand of the federal government restore it to the states um, Perhaps, perhaps the overturn of Roe v. Wade would just be one small piece. Uh, I will, I will add as a, as a one small addendum to that, since you had uh, talked a little bit about how uh, people's minds have maybe been slanted a little bit during the pandemic era as well. Uh, same rule applies. If there's a silver lining here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a silver lining. If there's a silver lining here, because a lot of people, a lot of people as, as recently as the start of 2020 would have said federalism's dead. There's no point in fighting it. It's over. Incorporation doctrines here. We're just going to have to go politic in D.C. because nothing your state says matters anymore. COVID taught us that federalism's not totally dead. And the way it did is that not every state was equal during the pandemic, were they? There were some states that you probably would have preferred not live. That even to this very day, some places are bringing masks back right now because cases went back up. And there were other states, I'm very thankful to say Tennessee was one of them, where they basically never had a state, uh, a state mandated mask or lockdown. Now, uh, a state like Tennessee, for example, actually took federalism to the next level. To a, to a state level, which was the governor said, I'm not going to require any of these things because that's that's not my power to do, but individual cities and counties could. Now, surprise, surprise, the bluest 
city and counties in Tennessee, Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, they locked down and had masks. You know what? The other 98% of Tennessee didn't, we didn't, there was no, there was nothing. I, I never wore a mask. I never wore a mask a single time. I've never worn a mask my whole life and I'm never going to other than Halloween. So I, and I could enjoy that without an enormous hassle to my life because I live here. I would not have been able to enjoy that quite so easily if I lived in New York, could I? So you know what? Maybe federalism's not dead after all. Yeah, I was just thinking, could you imagine if uh, like the Supreme Court was in D.C. or whatever, and then the White House was in like Los Angeles, and then the Congress was somewhere like, I don't know, Dallas, Texas, or something like that? They're like, okay, you have to go here, and then if you want to go here, you have to travel to Dallas, and if you want to go to there, you got to go to L.A. I don't know, that would be kind of funny if that – how it laid out but obviously like you said they're all coagulated in one little area so yeah um so actually you're kind of uh somewhat of a, a good segue i think to kind of the next uh topic that we can kind of talk about and i don't even know if this is even a possibility but so i kind of mm -hmm. want to ask you like what does actually like getting back to normal look like and when I talked earlier uh, at the beginning, I talked about the, the, um, some of the tweets that I tweeted. One mm -hmm. of them was, uh, I don't want to go right, read the whole thing or whatever, but you're kind of uh, alluding about like what it, what it means to get back to normal. Um, so like, cause like how do we, would that just mean what it was like pre COVID or, or like, what does that exactly mean for some people? Like, do you know, or like from your experience? Yeah. So I, you know what, I don't, I don't mind. Um, cause I, it's, it's, it's worth the reference to, uh, for me, for me to look it up really quick and read it. Um, okay. cause it, it actually, I, I know that there were people that kind of took it to, to talk a little bit about COVID and, and, and I guess in a weird sort of way, I, I might've been a little bit, but it, it wasn't really necessarily that it was just more kind of like one of my little uh, life re reflecting moments based a little bit more on, uh, some hard times that a couple of my friends have, have been through recently. And, uh, let's see if I can scroll. I have to scroll down past all the cop hate to get to, uh, <laughs> there it is. I well, found it. All right. Well, as, as far as I know, the whole getting back to normal, I don't know if it originated during COVID or what, but that's, I mean, you hear that a lot. Well, we just got to yes. do this to get back to normal. Well, so I, cause I mean, I think that that concept has basically been around, it's like as old as time. So the, so the thing, right. what, I, what I said was, is that after going through trying times, and again, I don't, I don't necessarily mean COVID. It, it could just be, you're just someone who's had some bad luck. Maybe you're out of a job. Um, maybe you're having a relationship problem. I mean, it can be anything, but I, I, but I know the last couple of years have been hard on a lot of people. Uh, after going through trying times, many of us, myself included, have echoed the desire to get back to normal. But the older I get, the more I think that that's not really a thing. I don't think life gets back or forth from normal or not. I think it just kind of moves on. Normal in this context really means back to before, but there's no going back in time. That's the true tragedy of our condition. Um, and what sort of, I mean, I can think of myself, like I, I, I don't want to like get on a big soapbox and talk about my, my life or anything. But, uh, before I was a retarded late night show host, 
Um, I mean, I've been a jazz musician. I've been a business owner. I ran, a, I opened a printing company when I was 21 years old and ran that for basically my entire 20s till I was about 28 years old. Um, I've been a nonprofit of a, uh, of a theater or a, a vice president of a theater-based nonprofit. Uh, I've done a lot of different things in a relatively short time. And, and there's, there's some tough times mixed in there, segueing from one to the other. I mean, we've all been there, right? Like we've all been doing our budgets and scratching our head at tax time and, and uh, like I said, relationships, whatever. So I, I myself have been in the position before of, man, things are really tough right now. I'm, I'm, I've got my rosy colored glasses on and I'm remembering when before now, before this moment, I thought things were better. I just want to get back to that. Uh, I'm 30, I'm 36 years old. Uh, I don't get to play music as much as I used to. Boy, if I could go back to being 26 when I was gigging more and stuff like that, if I could get back to that, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my guitar back out. I'm gonna work on my skills. I just just win the lottery so that I don't have to worry about paying my bills anymore, and I'll get back to music. It's gonna be so much fun. But the thing is, is I don't I don't I don't think that's real. I don't think there's such because. Because you're not really thinking about getting back to normal. You're really thinking more of getting back to who you were and where you were at a different time. But that's not possible, is it? Even even if things worked out great for you, it's not. It's still not genuinely possible to do it in that context. But I but I know that from a COVID perspective, you know, a lot of people are thinking. I mean, God forbid you still live in an area where things are not a hundred percent. It's, you know, not clown world anymore, but, but whether you do or you don't, I, I think there's a lot of people who are thinking again, I'll use myself an example when, when the initial lockdowns happened, I mean, my old producer, Blake and I, we, we uh, ran a studio that I managed and we did a lot of audio video work, DJing, uh, going out to other, helping other people organize their events and stuff. The business is gone. It's dead. It's not coming back. Uh, a huge amount of our business was uh, a lot of annual events. Um, we used to do all the local, uh, like the United Way does a relay for life where it's like for breast cancer or cancer victims and survivors and stuff. And they would have these all over the mid-state in different towns and different counties. And we were the provider for a lot of those events. They're gone. So our business is gone, but those events are gone. They're, they didn't they didn't have they didn't they didn't have it in 2020. They didn't come back in 2021. They didn't come back this year. They're gone. Those committees have folded. The events are are defunct. And it's it's tough for people. It's tough for people to think about what they've lost. Uh, it's it's understandable for them to be angry because they feel like this was stolen from me. They they the the always the amorphous they they ruined our business. They destroyed our events. They took our lives from us. They ruined me financially. They took this. They took these years from my life. They kept me from seeing my loved ones. You know, you think of the horror stories of people that didn't get to see their relatives in their dying hours and stuff like that, or funerals, this, that, and the other. I actually had a friend recently whose mother passed away in Canada, and he's not vaccinated, and he had to go to the Canadian government to get an exemption to cross the border where they would lock him in his hotel room with the exception of going to the funeral and then send him back over the border. That's still happening right now. That was like two weeks ago. And so 
with all of that as the landscape, I know people are thinking, I just want things to get back to normal. What I think what is very hard for people, but will help them at least psychologically is to just accept that the people most responsible for all that ill are never going to suffer consequences for their actions. No one's going to arrest Anthony Fauci. No one, none of those governors are going to get Mo, as Michael Malice likes to say. It's just not going to happen. So for your own, like, just emotional and mental well-being, it'll be better for you to think less about it in terms of people getting their comeuppance and getting back to normal and more in terms of what can I do to move on? Move on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's that that story you're talking about where they had to someone go across the border, lock them yeah. up. Yeah, pretty much locked them up. Really, I mean, yeah, it's a hotel room. Ooh, that's great. That was but, that was this month. That was May. That happened this month, right now in 2022. Jeez, that. Yep. That I don't even know what to say about that. That's ridiculous. Yep. I mean, the fact that it it's pretty much. If it's not proven, it's pretty much like very plausible that, you know, the, I mean, I, I way back when, when uh, I had, like had Keith Knight on, we did the COVID test, not the COVID test, but the COVID uh, map uh, data mm -hmm. chart that Tom Woods came out with. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know. I, I, oh, yeah, I'll pick this. Oh, no, it's not. The numbers don't match up. None of this makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And people, will still pretend or I don't know, they, they have this in their head that, Oh my God, I might die from, I mean, yeah, it, it's that like, I don't, I'm not going to say, and I'm sure you're not also going to say that COVID isn't some hoax or something like that. People have died from it, but at the same time, it's, it's not gonna, people are going to get viruses. Like you can just get something you're walking and breathing and something, but you don't know it's going to happen until later on or something like that. But I don't know. It's not like, cause uh, sometimes you would joke maybe about this where, you know, I would take COVID more seriously if there were like dead bodies literally like, all over the place. Like you're walking in the city. You're like, Oh man, it's dead freaking. I gotta get all the dead bodies going on from COVID. It's mm -hmm. killing everybody. But yeah, like people not going to funerals and all stuff. You know, I have read something that I, um, so someone's brother had died. I'm not gonna like name who they are. It's not, it's not like it matters, but maybe to kind of keep it private, I suppose. But their brother died, but they didn't go to like the, and the other brother, the older brother, didn't go to the funeral. <laughs> and his reasoning, and I think it was like in late 2021 or whatever. And the reasoning was, you know, some of the people aren't vaccinated, and some of them weren't gonna wear masks. Like, you're not you're not gonna go to your old brother's funeral because some people didn't want to like just go like what's the problem like yeah you're gonna send a video message yeah. that's great but you're not gonna actually go and pay your respects to your own damn brother like what the hell is wrong with you like i'm sorry like come on like you like if my if my younger brother had died from covid you bet i don't care where he's at you bet you i do my absolute damnedest be like i'm going to see pays my respects whatever but like the fact that you know he was vaccinated like oh man that was another thing too about this whole thing i thought <laughs> it's like these people are delusional he was so proud of the fact that he was 
vax like three times, whatever. He was about to get the next one, but then he died from COVID. And I'm just, three times it didn't work. Come That's, on, come on. So, so there you go. We're we're like I feel like we're trying to like introduce white pills in between all of our rants. Is that so? There's another silver lining right there. Is it's it's kind of the same. It's the same comparison as the one I made about the two sides of whether how do you see police after what happened in the recent shooting. COVID's the same thing. Is that when you when you've seen the data, when you've seen the trajectory of cases and deaths in the different states, when you see what they did to people, you see how they destroyed people's lives. You look at other places like Canada and Australia, New Zealand, places like that, where, I mean, they're just like mowing down freaking protesters over this stuff. Uh, When you see when you see all that. When you like, it's it's kind of like a, what you know. What do you trust, right? Like when you when you see all the coverage on TV, do you remember all the way back in the very beginning when they were showing that footage from China, where they literally did show footage of people just collapsing in the street? And we know today that was all bullshit. We know that. I mean, you could have suspected it then, but we know it was all bullshit. And so it's and so that's kind of like the red slash white pill, right? That I feel. So you you either like again and, and when I say the proverbial you, I'm kind of talking to the just the generic normie. I'm not talking about like to libertarians or whatever, like just the generic normie. The generic normie you, you either see that it was all bullshit and and the data and the cases and the jabs, it was you know, none none of it adds up, uh, the boosters, all that garbage. Uh, and then when you see what happened to people that dare speak out against the official narrative, when you see how the official narrative wax and wanes, uh, something that you would say one day that would get you permanently banned and they would like call your boss to try to get you fired six weeks later, that's on the CDC's website, right? So when you see all that happen, you can only believe one of two things. You can either see that there is a that that what we are regarding as the news, the media, the information coming out is a carefully constructed narrative to meet to pursue an agenda, um, and that it, it is not legitimate, and therefore that it also then casts doubt on a great many other things having to do with the establishment, or. You believe these wise overlords genuinely, genuinely had your best interest at heart, and that 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 there's a million dead people in the state of Florida right now. I'm I'm in Tennessee. I don't know. I can't see them, but I think that there's corpses just washing up when the evening tide in Florida. You either believe one or the other, and again, if you believe the second one, you're a lost cause. You and I don't need to waste any more breath on those people. There's nothing. There's clearly nothing. Anything can be said or done. To persuade those people, and I'm not criticizing Tom Woods. By the way, Tom Woods is a friend of mine. He's been on the show several times. I love Tom. That website he did with the COVID charts was brilliant. However, and I and again, I like this is going to come off bad. And everyone's going to say I'm an asshole. I don't mean this as a criticism, but charts don't matter because you're going to fall into one of those two camps. And if you fall into the prior camp of this is bullshit and I don't trust the government then you don't really need the charts because you, you, you've already got it. And vice versa, the people literally to this very day driving around in their cards with a mask and a deflector shield because they're doing the fucking tunnel run in New Hope, those people, there's no amount of charts you're going to send those people that's going to change their minds. Would you agree with that? There's no charts. That website would not change their opinion one bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I just thought it was 
interesting, really. I mean, I mean, yeah, I was already kind of biased. So I kind of went into it kind of expecting to know what was going to happen. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was just still kind of like, man, I like, and I guess if I was on the other side where I thought, oh, COVID's going to kill me. I'm, this is it. Like, I have only like maybe a year left possibly because COVID's going to kill me or whatever. And you go and be like, well, they obviously must have manipulated the numbers or something. Like, I mean, the CDC still says or the who or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And okay. So an, another uh, topic that I, I want to go to kind of switching uh, here, kind of briefly want to talk about this um, because you were, you're tweeting a lot about it. And so I know a little bit about it. I kind of read uh, the guy's Substack post about it. So Freedom mm-hmm. Fest, if for those who don't know, is like a, it's basically like a, I would consider it a high end liberty conference type of thing. Like think Pork Fest, but in an air conditioned room, but and also mm-hmm. like more expensive, I suppose you could say, because I mean, yeah. God damn the tickets. Oof. Um. So yeah, they. I don't know how, how long it's been going on on the top of my head. I don't know. But anyway, so they do this uh, like film festival, like a bunch of movies kind of playing or whatever. Uh, I, I think most of them are probably original films. I would, I would think uh, mm-hmm. not like, Oh, we're going to show uh, the Avengers. Something like that. I'm talking about like documentaries at uh, something like that. So this one guy, uh, Jason rink, I believe is his name. Yep. He had his, film originally it was accepted to play but then due to some i guess pushback from those uh, that he uh, that he named uh not by name but just the the places they work like cato and reason yeah uh, places like that they're like yeah i don't i don't feel comfortable having this movie play at this particular festival because why why does it care like you don't just don't, don't watch it like, you know just don't just don't sit there and watch it if you don't see it but anyway that's beside the point but anyway the movie was basically uh about nick fuentes yeah. and so anyway you can kind of go more into it if you like kind of uh go more into the story of what happened there so so jason rink uh, jason was on my show just just this past week ironically and it was right before all this big news kind of kind of broke out uh and first i want to say just for people that are not familiar jason is above reproach jason rink is one of genuinely one of the good guys he's he's been around the movement for a long time he was an original hardcore ron paul guy out there supporting the campaign um he had back I, i mean at this point probably close to like 10, 12 years ago, they, uh, the 10th Amendment Center used to do these Nullify Now movement uh, productions, and they did a movie called Nullification that featured uh, all the usual suspects that you would you would expect, and, and the Tom Woodses of the world, Ron Paul, and that sort of thing. And that, and that was really Jason. Jason helped fund and produce and direct those things. And, and fast-forwarding to now... Uh, he he was he became such a success that he had a very lucrative you know day job was doing uh, video production and marketing for a lot of um, huge players uh, a list celebrities like 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 it uh, 
Academy Award winner type A-list celebrities uh, and huge companies like Ford and Aston Martin and Toyota and stuff like those are his clients. This guy's not just some random whack job from the street. Um, and then to add insult to injury, when it more recently, when it came to him doing some of these documentaries where he wasn't making documentaries espousing his personal beliefs necessarily, he was trying to make documentaries that just more were covering things that maybe you don't get the whole story from in the mainstream, which you would think would be exactly the kind of thing that would be welcome in a in a film festival like Anthem, which takes place in conjunction with Freedom Fest. Uh, and, and, and really quick on that note, he's not a newbie to that. He actually won like one of the awards in the 2012 Anthem Film Festival at Freedom Fest as like the best libertarian documentary or whatever. And just last year in 2021, he was he was on the panel of judges picking the winners for last year's Anthem Film Festival. So, again, this is not some random dude they didn't know. And so they just threw some nobody under the bus. This was somebody that was involved in this and had participated in this event multiple times. Um, as, a, as another quick little like more recent background on Jason is he he first got into trouble because he had made a documentary called Q Sent Me that was talking about that Q Shaman guy and just the events of January 6th. Uh, and again, it wasn't a matter of them talking about uh, their own personal beliefs on what took place and insurrection and all that garbage. What it was about was just to say, look, we're on the scene. They believe it or not, Jason and his uh, friend, uh, Paul, I'm, I'm forgetting his last name, uh, who they co like produce and direct these things. Uh, they had interviewed that guy, the guy that dressed up with the horns and all that crap. They had interviewed that guy some months before, and so they had gotten to know him a little bit, had his phone number, all that stuff. And then they were in D.C. in January that year, kind of taking it in and, and filming the events just as, as like an investigative journalist perhaps would do. And then they were seeing on TV, like at a local diner, Oh my God, that's that guy we know that we interviewed. He's the Q shaman, right? So they call his number turn in and it turns out he still had his cell phone on and they're like, can we talk to you about what happened? Cause we're seeing you on the news. And they, they were the ones that got the only exclusive interview with that guy before three days later, he was put in a federal prison. No one's seen or heard from him since. Um, and so the point of his, of that documentary was to talk about, look, we've got the receipts, we've got footage, we've got testimonials. From on the ground, I'm physically there on the scene. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm getting footage of how the D.C. police are acting, how the security is reacting, how the protesters are acting, um, whether they're being violent or not, what rhetoric they're spewing or not. I've, I've got the receipts. And he makes this documentary called Q Sent Me, talking about kind of that whole movement. Um, and then the interview with the Q Shaman guy. And it was meant to cast light on the fact of, again, the, the mainstream narrative of this is an insurrection. They tried to take over the government. It was inspired by Trump and these other actors. Um, look how they're beating the police, all this stuff, and how that's just not true. And whether, whether you believe that there's any right or wrong to what the crowd is doing or not is irrelevant. I'm just simply showing you in film what you're seeing on CNN is not quite what happened. When he made that film, he basically lost everything. So again, 
he was paying out of his own pocket to make this. It's not, he didn't have some mega bucks, you know, he didn't have Patrick Byrne from Overstock or somebody paying him a million dollars to make this thing. He's, 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 he's using his own capital to make these films. Cause he just thinks it's the right thing to do. And he's, and in his mind, he's thinking, well, people, people in our kind of ideological sphere should be interested in this stuff. Cause we would be interested to know what really happened. And we, and you, maybe you don't think that the news is telling you the whole truth. He lost everything. They banned him from every platform imaginable. He's banned from Twitter. He, ban- he banned from Twitter like four or five times. He kept on trying to come back They keep banning him. Um, any, any mention of, or link to his site for that documentary instant ban. Uh, they banned him on YouTube, banned him on Facebook. Um, the two, the two that hurt him the most was they permanently banned him on Facebook. He is not allowed as a business entity associated with any of his bank accounts, credit numbers, whatever. He is not allowed to be on to be on Facebook and use their marketing tools or business management in any sense. This guy was making $100,000 a year managing online marketing for a variety of companies. That business is gone. Boom, $100,000 a year, gone. He'll never get it back because he can't use the platform. Uh, the last one was Vimeo. Uh, he had a professional account with Vimeo that had something like several thousand hours of film, rough cuts, because this guy's a documentary filmmaker, rough cuts, B-roll, interviews. He lost the account. They deleted it all. This that people like us, like even if this guy was actually literally a Nazi, we'd be like, well, you know, again, I'm no I'm no lover of, for example, our upcoming example, Nick Fuentes. But that could that could have been you or me. You and I could have been working on a project that we thought, man, this is going to put us on the map. We're going to be we're going to be somebody's after this. And then all of a sudden that, you know, you try to send that link on Twitter and it doesn't work. And the next thing you know, you've got an email in your inbox saying your account's gone. That could have been us. That could be anybody. And so to fast forward to this year's Anthem Film Festival at Freedom Fest, he had this short documentary. It's meant to be that way for, for viewing. It's only like 21 minutes, something like that. It's talking about Nick Fuentes. It's not really about Nick Fuentes' views on whatever bullshit Nick Fuentes said this week. What it's about is that this guy was put on a federal no-fly list and the government seized $500,000 of his money, which they hold to this day, and he's never been charged with a crime. That's what the documentary was about. That documentary was accepted by the Freedom Fest people to air at Anthem. Again, because Jason's an old hat. He's been involved with them multiple times. They they know who this guy is and that his integrity is above reproach. They had contacted him and said, can we get Nick Fuentes to come and like, you know, be there for the screening, maybe answer some questions. Jason, because that wasn't even Jason's idea. Jason had said, sure, I can reach out to him, see if we can get him. I don't know if he will, but I'll see if he'll come. Freedom Fest, because they're just incompetent boobs, I guess, they started advertising that Nick Fuentes was going to be there. Now, maybe he would be there, but he had not yet at that point agreed to come. When they advertised that he was going to be there, the usual suspects arrived. Uh, What we would refer to as Libertarian Inc. and Conservative Inc., and that's the thing you, you kind of described Freedom Fest there a little bit. And your description, I, I mean, I, I mostly agree with your description. I think the biggest difference between them and Pork Fest, 
uh, other than what what area of the spectrum you're on, and I mean that is as derogatory as I possibly can, uh, is Portfest is really more of a grassroots type of an of a event, whereas Freedom Fest is absolutely dominated by Conservative Inc. and Libertarian Inc. a hundred percent. And those people started to tell Freedom Fest, we don't want that guy there. Then Freedom Fest said, oh, well, we won't have that guy. Then they said, oh, well, now that you've brought it up, we also don't want that film showing. And then they actually called Jason and said, we're getting pushback from these people, these organizations, saying they don't want your film shown because they don't, you know, bigotry, white supremacy, yada, yada, yada. There's a few interesting things that I'll, I'll leave with before I turn it back over to you. One, Jason has the motherfucking receipts. Because of what he's been through over the last couple of years, because of what he went through with Q Sent Me in that previous documentary, he learned the valuable lesson that I should record every conversation, I should save every email, I should screenshot everything that could possibly be deleted. He has a backlog of every single communication he had with that organization in any capacity and all of their representatives. They told him point blank, word for word, that they were getting pressure from these organizations to drop his film. And then when he went public and said, hey, these people are doing this and they're canceled. As a quick aside, they actually wanted Jason to appear and give a talk on a different day and time about cancel culture. They canceled him at Freedom Fest, but wanted him to come back and talk about how cancel culture is bad. That's just a funny little bit of irony there. Um, so when he went public saying they did this, they immediately denied it, basically calling Jason a liar with no integrity. Of course, what does Jason do? He says, well, here you go. There's the file with all of our communications. Have at it, you pieces of shit. So he has the receipts. They totally did that. Uh, as, as, a, as another just quick side note, he hasn't screened the documentary. How do all these different organizations already have such a firm opinion on what the documentary is about and how it is, by their own words, is insufficiently uh, critical of Fuentes and his views when none of them have seen it? Yeah, that I mean, that whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, the, yeah, the fact that they haven't seen the movie and – they just see that name, Nick Fuentes. Oh, oh shit. We got it. We're panicking. We got to do something about this. And as of now, it's looking like, I mean, yeah, they, they basically kicked him out. They canceled the screening and he's basically like persona non grata now, but mm -hmm. now he's fighting back. Like, no, go fuck yourself. I'm going to do something about this. And now, you know, I mean, I admire the guy for doing what he's doing because I mean, when you're, yeah, when you've been part of them, you've been working with them for a long time, associated with them, thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. You know, we're friendly, all this. And mm -hmm. then this one movie, they're like, yeah, we don't – like, it's just – it's it's crazy to me that one – and I'm sure when he was making it, he didn't think, oh, I bet Freedom Fest isn't going to like this. They're probably going to – like, they're probably going to, like, hate me. But then, yeah, yeah. Like the usual the usual suspects of libertarian ink and conservative ink because they want to they still want you know they're a part of this bubble and they 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 hear like like the cube thing, I'm even with that they're like yeah I don't because they have this they have this narrative in their head where, I mean yeah we're libertarians we don't like the government, but 
can't do it like that. I mean, come on, you can't, you can't have this. And they call it like, even like the libertarian ink, they'll call it an insurrection. When we're like that, what? That's, that's it. If it was an insurrection, the whole place would be gone. Like, what are you talking about? It would have yeah. exploded and all this, like in, up in flames. What are you talking about? It's, it's it's also worth mentioning, by the way, that so so just first of all, because I I feel like you know Jason's my friend, so I think my own my bias is pretty clear. Um, Freedom Fest, Reason, Cato, LP, all those all those institutions should be raised to the ground. They should salt the earth where those things existed. Okay. That's what they deserve for. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's what they deserve for treating people the way they're they're treating Jason is number one. Um, and uh, number two, I think I do. I do believe Jason is is going to screen the film privately to a variety of different people. Jason's got a lot of supporters. It's 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 going to be okay. It's it's one of those things that it's really tough because you know, the moment he decided to go public with the communications and with the article he wrote, you knew that that basically sealed the deal. Right? He wasn't going to be invited back ever again at that point because he he spouted off. Um, however, it needed to be said. It should it should be done. I applaud him for taking the stance uh, that he did. Um, as 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 a, one more quick note, these people now, by your description, and that's a description Freedom Fest would probably welcome. This conservative libertarian festival that's like the biggest, most expensive one annually in the country, most likely, uh, that happens in Las Vegas every year in conjunction with the film festival and everything. These people are supposed to be conservative libertarian and people like Jason Rink are banned from participating. You want you want to know who one of their speakers are coming up? Andrew Yang. Oh yeah. Oh. Is that is that a conservative libertarian conference to you? I mean Yeah. I, I saw they announced that John Cleese was going to be there too. Yeah, that's very random. That yeah, I mean, of course, and Donald Trump was there like uh, a couple of years ago or or whatever it was. Um, oh my God, Donald Trump was there! Holy shit! Yeah. I can't believe they didn't ban him. He can't be here. How dare you? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, like it was funny because their their bullshit little statement. I mean, you know how PR is. Their little statement was in in response to Rink going public about everything was that they 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 weren't bullied by any organizations this was an internal review they made this decision themselves um you know they uh, you know we it's it's one of those everything before but in in a sentence can be ignored um we respect uh privacy and free speech and we understand that you know the documentary was about you know government overreach yada 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 comma but you know, we don't we don't platform white supremacy and our and, and liberty is about equality. Then when, when they put liberty and equality in the same sentence, you just like this is a progressive organization. Freedom for it's it's progressive fest. It literally yeah. is. Like that's there's there's that old phrase. I, I forget who it's originally contributed to because I I don't research enough. Uh, but there's that there's that phrase of any organization that's not explicitly right wing will will eventually become left wing. We see that happen. Like, I'm usually one of the types of people that says, you know, like those random old sayings. Like, that's that's a um, a, a uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a, a self. Uh, oh, a cell a, phone. 
Yeah. Uh, well, no, it's not a, a not a cell phone, but like <laughs> self fulfilling prophecy. Oh, like if okay, you okay. if you already believe something, then when you see it, you'll apply that moniker to it. So sometimes when I hear that, I think, oh, that's not true. But then we see it over and over and over and over again. So Freedom Fest, which stopped, which branded itself in the way that we discussed earlier, it wasn't explicitly right wing. And before our very eyes, it's now a progressive organization. Well, another organization that uh, seems to be kind of going that way is uh, Young Americans for Liberty. That's for a whole Ooh. other time. <laughs> yes, that it's same same thing. If yeah. they're if they if they are not ex if you are not unapologetically for a a conservative right wing whatever token you want to use set of principles, they will eventually become left wing. Yep. All right, so to uh, completely switch gears uh, to talk about the last topic that we were going to discuss, um, I've been wanting to kind of briefly talk about this for a little while, but I don't know. For some reason, I just never got around to it. Um, so, I mean, I know that you're obviously you're, you do your show. Uh, it's too late. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a talk show, late night talk show. And. I'm sure you got your uh, a lot of your in inspiration from Jimmy Fallon and, and Stephen Colbert. I'm sure you just love those guys, Jesus right? Right. <laughs> Why would you do this to me? I thought we were friends. Um, sorry, oops. For, so first of all, no, but I but I will tell you just to answer that question. If 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 I was picking just one former late night host, that is like the predominant inspiration. It's Craig Ferguson. He is a good one. I do remember seeing him a few times. Yeah, I sorely miss Craig Ferguson. You know what's funny that that you mentioned that. So okay, so what we're going to talk about is the, the legacy of Norm Macdonald, and re, and it's actually funny that you mentioned Craig Ferguson because when he was when he announced that he was leaving, I'm pretty sure Norm Macdonald's name was one of the top names that people were like, oh, we should, Norm Macdonald should totally be the guy to replace him. And that would have been that would have been fantastic. I would have been like, I am tuning in every single day. I don't care how late it comes on. I am watching now, or at least recording or something. I gotta watch that because that motherfucker is hilarious. Of course, he's one of, if not the best. I mean, like I think it, like in his uh, Wikipedia page, he's he's like considered. It says he's considered one of the best guests on talk shows, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you know, like his his. Uh, his chemistry with David Letterman and Conan O'Brien are legendary. I mean, the, the yes. times he was on there, they're, they're legendary. I mean, you could literally spout off anything. You know, like obviously his the last time he ever did stand up on a on a late show with uh, David Letterman, that was classic. Uh, him with Courtney Thorne Smith, that was classic. I mean, you could just name off all these different. My personal favorite of uh, of Norm when he was on uh, – a talk show was when he was a guest on the Conan O'Brien show. I think it was when he was, I think it was doing a tonight show. He was with uh, Gordon Ramsay doing their little cooking segment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, Gordon trying to be real serious and teaching them how to do this thing. And no one just kept doing his little jabs. And the one that always cracks me up is when he goes, Well, oh, you ever want to become a cook? <laughs> and, then, and then Gordon goes, no, it, it, it's a chef. Women are women become cooks, and everyone's like, "Boo!" <laughs> this is that whole thing. That that was that's my personal favorite one. The, I will I'll never forget. So when he was the 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 appearance he made on Letterman, literally like the day that they announced. What made Letterman so awesome too is that 
if this were any other celebrity and any other issue, it would have been like in bold letters on your little card, do not bring up like, you know, our, our guest says you're not supposed to talk about this, 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 and this, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That was good. I mean, that was the very first thing that came out of Letterman's mouth was, I heard you got, got yourself fired. That's not right, is it? <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, I did. He's like, no, that's, that you're not, that's not the truth. And they go on this whole bit. And, of course, Letterman having the history with NBC that he has and stuff, I mean, they just rip in, into him, you know, for like a whole, like a, a double segment of them just ripping into NBC and stuff. Uh, but I will say this, any, anyone could tell you there's a 0% chance that they would have ever allowed someone like Norm take over any of the shows in, in any of the time slots, because could you imagine, could you imagine them allowing some, something like Norm McDonald live to be coming on every night at 11 o'clock that they wouldn't allow it. That would never even be discussed. He'd be off. He'd be, it wouldn't matter what the ratings would be. He'd be out in six weeks they wouldn't. You know, they, they it would it would just it would generate it, it would either generate too much heat or it would be the same thing as like with Weekend Update. He's he's a true comics comic, and if you tell him he can't do something, that's what he's going to write his whole set about the next day. He he would have gotten himself fired. It's just it's just he would have. But you're you're also right. Not only was he an amazing guest, but he was Norm was one of those that like you. I I appreciated him more the older I got. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't realize how much of an influence he was. When I got a little bit older, I realized how much of the brainchild of so much of what was going on was his doing. And then his own, like his own kind of quirky, all shucks Canadian sort of stand up and stuff like that. Um, how he, I don't think anyone thinks that Norm McDonald's like that special that's coming up for him. I don't think anyone expects that's going to get as many views as Chappelle, right? But, but all of those people, Letterman, Chappelle, you know, whoever, those people thought Norm's the best. Yeah, I mean, on uh, Chappelle's last special, he basically dedicated it to him. Yeah, he I did. Mean, that, that was that's crazy, and yeah. So like, for me, I don't even know how I even got to liking him so much. It probably was just some random YouTube video. I'm sure. I'm sure it was one of his appearances on, on Conan or something like that. But his uh, his his book, his his memoir book, was really good too. And I don't know. Just it, it seemed like yeah, he's he's one of those guys that just seemed like he just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Even within the confines of yeah, like on Weekend Update, I'm sure they're like, hey, you can't say this. Like, I'm going to say it anyway. I don't care. And I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that he probably lasted as long as he did doing all the OJ jokes that he was doing. I mean, if because that, that was like one of the that was one of like one of the presumed reasons that he was basically let go was because of that. But it's like he's he was doing that pretty much for almost his entire time. He was the weekend update anchor was the fact that he was just talking about how much of OJ was a murderer. Like he's mm-hmm. like, no, he's guilty. I don't know what, what the trial should be over now. Why are we still do, why are we still here? Yeah. And yeah, that. The 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 first weekend update that they had right after that OJ was acquitted, like he yeah. had the absolute the the weekend update started that night. And the very first thing he was is uh, breaking news: murder is now legal in the state of California. <laughs> that yeah. Oh my god. And then they have to look for the they have to actually try to find the killers. If if you can see if you know what this guy is, and it's like literally a picture. <laughs> it's a picture of OJ. 
Yeah. The uh, so speak speaking of that, like talking about some of the specific like pressure points. I, I don't know if necessarily I wouldn't necessarily say he was before his time. I think, you know, I, I don't think it, it wasn't so much that he was a necessarily a trailblazer. It was just a he was really good. B, he absolutely was a standard bearer for I'm not making professional decisions. Uh, what like they call it in football a business decision. If you're you know if you're a cornerback that's only 160 pounds and a running back's coming at you full speed and you get out of the way, that's what they call a business decision because you're not right. you don't want to get killed. Um, he didn't make business decisions. He said and did whatever the hell he wanted to do. I mean, he was perfectly successful. I don't think he was broke by any stretch of the imagination, other than from his gambling problem. But yeah. he didn't make business decisions. He he said what a good comedian would say and do. Um, but it's it, it, what few things he did were, that were sort of ahead of his time in a sense was, I'm sure you know, because you're such a big fan. I mean, he was making Michael Jackson pedophile jokes when like you couldn't even say that on TV and he was saying it every week. Um, sa same thing with OJ Simpson. Uh, same thing. He was going on. You've probably seen him. He would go on a show like the view and talk about how the Clintons were murderers. Yeah. Like, like in 1998. So it's like, you know, for you or me to say that on our podcast today, it would be funny and not even all that unexpected for you, you and me to you or me to go on like Fox and Friends and say that would not necessarily be the most unheard of thing. But we probably wouldn't get invited back for being so on the nose on national television. He was saying that on daytime TV in the 90s, dude. And lived to tell the tale at that. Yeah, and then uh, towards the end of his life, when uh, when um, like Louis C.K. was going through his troubles, mm -hmm. um, and then Norm pretty much defended him, and he was pretty much blacklisted. I think I, I don't know how like a hundred percent or how much truth there is to it, but I think when he when all that was going on and he was kind of like me too or all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah he was supposed to be on conan's show around that time and then he was basically like kicked off because of that and he was he never went back on there which is such a shame when you think about the appearance that he went on there and when uh conan was ending his show at, at tbs i mean he would have been like the perfect guest to have on at least on one of the final shows but he didn't he wasn't there because of all that, because he was pretty much defending, you're not supposed to defend Louis C.K. Don't you don't you know he did something terrible? But he was like, yeah, I can't remember exactly what he said. But he was basically saying, I mean, Louis, what Louis C.K. What did he do? Like he did this? Okay, well, I mean, people murdered someone, so I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that was what basically what he said, but that was yeah. pretty much the gist of it. Was that this is what we're getting mad about? Like, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, that whole thing, I think, was 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 pretty sad especially when you think too he went on the view to apologize for his comments yeah and people were saying is he trolling because he was like being really serious and just kind of saying yeah I, I, I i'm sorry for the things that i said or it was just the the way that he because it was different like it wasn't the type it wasn't the usual norm performance because usually he's trying to make everyone laugh with, with his usual way and I mean, to this day, I think people kind of don't know, like, is he, is he really apologizing or is he kind of, I don't know what's going on here. And I think that was like 
part of his charm was the fact that like with his movies, he was just being norm. Like even if he was supposed to act, he was still yes. going to be Norm McDonald. He was like, nobody was going to say that Norm McDonald was this amazing actor. He was just going to be in like in dirty work, for example. I mean, that's like his, obviously probably his most famous movie he was in because he was the lead. That's just Norm McDonald being Norm McDonald. I mean, if you're trying to have him be some gangster, like that's not going to work, you know? Yeah. He, uh, uh, teachers is another one. So, you know, it, we, we, we recently just went through that whole news cycle there where everyone was calling uh, everyone a groomer, you know, and all the, all the teachers are groomers and Disney are groomers and they're all pedophiles and they all knew Epstein and you know what? Hey, you know, it's probably true, but, uh, Norm Macdonald 20 years ago was doing stand-up bits where he was saying, man, I don't understand why they always give Catholic priests such a hard time. Teachers fuck way more kids than priests do. <laughs> like he was saying that way back then. Of course, I mean, in, in some sense, you can't get mad because statistically he's just correct, right? Like he's just right about what he's saying. But it's the fact that he would say it. He was saying it in a room where there was people heckling him because they're school teachers and or work for public schools. And he was and then he would just like point blank point them out in the audience and say, Why well, is that pedophile so mad at me? You know, <laughs> like, it's like so that so again, it's like he was doing things that you and I would do today to be funny. He was doing it when it was it took a lot more balls to do it. And and he had a lot he stood to lose a lot more. It's easy for me to go on it's too late and say that and then you know, what move on with my life. He was, he absolutely could have been, you know, commercially bigger and he yeah. wasn't because he was perfectly content with who he was. And I think that that's, that maybe that's part of, of Norm's legacy too, is that outside of being a great comedian, he, and a great writer, he, he also was a surprisingly grounded, humble individual and so for him, for him to have ever done a project where someone handed him a million dollars, he was like, oh, that's, that's more money than some random bloke from, from my small town should have. So I'll just like, I, I don't know if you ever saw any of the, like he lived in a really small apartment and like still hung out with his mom and mostly just watched sports and bet on games and stuff. Like he didn't live extravagantly. Uh, a lot of his friends, like the Adam Sandlers and David Spades of the world couldn't, couldn't, it was twisting his arm to ever get him to go out and go, go to the club, go party with them or whatever. Cause he just wasn't that kind of guy. And yet he was this massive font of, of uh, critique and humor that I think that that's, I think in a sort of backhanded sort of way, that's why so many of those other folks in the industry loved him is because they were like, he's, he's not playing the game here. I am with a publicist and a marketing agent and I'm reading talking points off of a fucking note card. Every time I make an appearance, this guy literally does whatever the fuck he wants. And he's living, he's living the dream. Why am I not doing that? I think, I think that they, they envied him in that regard. Yeah. So I guess, uh, the, last thing that I want to say to wrap this up uh, about that is like when like he, he, him passing. And then of course uh, with um, like Bob Sagan, Gilbert Gottfried also passing like, Louis Anderson too. Oh yeah. Louis Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty much around the same time. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of like that. That's a dying breed of that type of comic where you, I mean, maybe more so Norm and, and Gilbert Gottfried too, because Gilbert Gottfried also would kind of just 
went with the stand up and, and would just do whatever he would do. Like I heard one story, uh, I think, I think I heard Jim Florentine say this, where he was saying that he saw him do stand up one time and he did a joke. Uh, it didn't do well. And then, um, I think he was doing some other jokes and then he did that same joke again, knowing goes like he was, he basically bombed is mm-hmm. what the whole story was. But the, but then he went up to chance like, dude, dude, Gilbert, you, you bombed. Are you okay? He's like, dude, that was great. What are you talking about? This them booing me. I got paid already. Who cares? You know, that whole mentality. Yeah. He, Gilbert Godfrey will be legendary for all time for being the guy that told like the first nine 11 joke, right? Like he told yeah. a nine 11 joke in New York at like the first public event after nine 11, he set the bar. Like that's one of like the kind of the golden rules of comedy is like, it's never, you know, never too soon enough. Like Gilbert Godfrey exemplified that. Uh, him telling that 9-11 joke. And and you know what? Not only did he tell the joke, but like if you go back and watch the clip, were there some was there some uneasy tension in the room? Of course there was. But I wouldn't say it bombed. I feel like people were like, this is who can do it. He's he's opening the door, right? Like someone's got to do it. Someone's got to fall on their sword and tell the joke so that we can say, well, I, look, I'm not the one that started it. Gilbert Godfrey started it. And he was perfectly content to do that. That didn't bother him in the slightest. Uh, so that, but you're, you're definitely right that there's a certain generation. Um, it, for some reason it made me think of Bill Burr and the reason why it made me think of Bill Burr is that a lot of people like Bill Burr. I like Bill Burr. He's a funny guy. Um, he has a lot more of that old school kind of mentality to him, but he is also in Hollywood today. Like he's on the Mandalorian and he's doing movies and he was in breaking bad and stuff like that. And I've heard him say in interviews, uh, this is how I know why they. This is how I know they respected people like Gilbert and, and Norm so much. Is that to hear Bill? Because a lot of people in their minds they think Bill Burr is like that. They think, oh, this is a guy who will say anything. He doesn't play by the rules. He's a maverick. That's not really true. Because for one, if it was, he wouldn't be in a Disney show. That's just number one. Um, and number two, he himself has said that he envies those guys because they're willing to do that. But that for him. You know, he had a kid not that long ago. He's still got young children and he hasn't. Some of those guys were making their bucks like in the 90s when Bill Burr was, you know, riding in the back of the bus with other people traveling around trying to get on stage like he hadn't he, he hadn't. He's I mean, he's a household name today, but he hasn't quite had his full 15 minutes of fame yet. So I think for people like Bill Burr, his attitude is let me finish my 15 minutes. Let me make my money. And then I'll go save verbatim anything Norm or Gilbert would have said it would have been fine. But let me, let me make sure my kids are taken care of and stuff like that, which in some sense, cause this is another thing that's kind of, this applies not just to comedy, but like to some of our friends and family and people in the, to Jason rink, to every, everything we've talked about all night and cancel culture is I used to be one of those libertarian types who would get mad at people because they would hide behind an avatar, not use their real name, not be willing to take a stand, draw a line somewhere and put their money where their mouth was. But, and, and, and while I still wish more people would, it's not that I don't haven't completely moved from that position. I do at least understand that. Look what happened to those people. Look what happened to Jason. Look what happened. I mean, you see this every day all the time. Look what happens to these people when they say and do the wrong thing. And so 
um, a not to sound terribly condescending, but I think a fairly condescending way to put it is uh, sometimes the people that are that are highest on their high horse about being willing to sacrifice everything don't have a lot to offer. It's a whole lot different for someone who has, you know, a lifelong career, millions of dollars to lose for them to take a stand than it is for someone, you know, for the cashier at Kmart. So not not that, you know, all life is sacred, even Kmart cashiers. But uh, but I think you, you see what I'm saying that, you know, I don't do I wish that Bill Burr would just go all out on Hollywood 24 seven like that one time Ricky Gervais did at uh, at the Academy Awards or whatever. Of course I would. But if he looked me in the eye and said, I, I got to I got to make sure that my kid's college fund is paid for first, I would be like, hey, I get it. Because because we live in a world because Bill Burr's not stupid and he knows that we live in a world where that when the day comes that he decides to fire his mouth off, that'll be the fucking end of him. He knows that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we can go ahead and end it there. Uh, Alan, go ahead and let people know where they can find you and your work. I meant to introduce you to like, <laughs> I kind of let you introduce, but you kind of did that in the middle of that. So uh, but anyway, go ahead and let people know where yeah. they can find you and your work. I am the host of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley, which is a late night talk show because I'm a retard. Um, I think it's the only I think I think I think it's the best late night talk show in America compared to the garbage that's on TV. It's definitely the only one hosted by a non-communist. Um, <laughs> you can we're on your favorite co- podcasting platform of choice if you're into binge listening to things, but you really need to watch the show. Like, why do I even bother doing all these graphics and stuff and, and video if no one watches the show? You can get us on every single platform with uh, Alan Mosley TV, Facebook, Alan Mosley TV, Twitter at Alan Mosley TV, uh, YouTube slash Alan Mosley TV uh, and Odyssey. Just search Alan Mosley TV. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on and uh, thank you for watching and listening and have a good one.